0: So if you have your Bibles or your uh, phone or whatever, um, go to very famous passage uh, well, for what we're going to talk about today, Ephesians chapter six. You can also go to notes.gatewaypeople.com, and it will just take you immediately to U Version, and my notes are on you version, and so you can make your own notes in there. There's a place to do it. So Ephesians chapter six, we're in a series called "Blessed Families." And uh, we've talked about uh, the broken family, how all of us come from a, a broken family, and that broken family would be Adam and Eve. We've talked about blessed marriage. We've talked about um, blessed family. I want to talk to you today about blessed sons and daughters. And I specifically named this sons and daughters because we're all sons and daughters of God, even though we're sons and daughters on this earth. But as sons and daughters... We go through three phases, and these phases are actually outlined in the Bible. God designed these three phases, and I want to talk about how we relate to sons and daughters in these three phases. The three phases, just so you know, are childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. Childhood is birth to 12, adolescence 13 to 19, and these ages I'm getting from the Bible and adulthood is 20 and above. So I'll show you these three, and I'm gonna give you a a word, so there'll be three words today that hopefully you can remember the key word about how to relate to sons and daughters in each of these phases, all right? So here's, um, in Ephesians 6, we're gonna start with three verses. I think these three phases of life are actually in these three verses. So I think you'll see them. I think you'll see childhood, adolescence and adulthood, all right? So Ephesians chapter six, look at verse one. It says children, so we're talking about childhood, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So this is the first thing children need to learn during this zero to 12, they need to learn to obey their parents. I think verse two is actually referring to adolescence. Honor your father and mother. I think teenagers need to learn to honor one another and honor other people. I think honor is the biggest thing they need to learn at that time, during that adolescent age, which is the first commandment promise. And then verse 3, I think, is referring to adulthood. Watch this. That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. In other words, as adults, that things may go well with you, and you may live long on the earth. I, I have a thought about this because a lot of times when you ask people, what's the promise If you honor your mother and father, they seem to all say, oh, the promise is that you may live long on the earth. Well, the promise is actually that things may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And I don't mean this wrong, but who wants to live long if things aren't going well? So that's a bigger promise to me, that things may go well with you, all right? So, We're going to look at these three phases and how we relate to sons and daughters, all right? So number one phase, this is the word to try to help you remember, is training. This refers to childhood, the childhood phase, training. Now, we stopped at verse 4. We read verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 6. Look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, training. Think about this scripture that all of you know, Proverbs 22, six, train, train up a child. You train children, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now we're gonna talk about training. And so I'm gonna talk about biblical training and I don't have time to devote, I could devote an entire message to each three of these points, to each of these three points. Okay. So we're gonna, I'm gonna talk a little about biblical training and we're gonna talk a little bit about spanking because the Bible talks about spanking. Now, I know that there are books against spanking. We had some friends of ours that uh, what, they, they, years ago, they, uh, the wife said to my wife, to Debbie, uh, you know, she'd read some book and she said, we've stopped spanking in our home. And uh, just a few weeks later, Debbie talked to her again. She said, we started spanking again. <clears throat> Because this is the best book on raising children. I remember my son James, uh, he used to say to me, you know, when I'd say, son, you disobey, not explain it to him, you're going to get a spanking. He'd say, daddy, can, can I tell you something first? Can I, can I tell you, can I just tell you one thing before you, before you spank me? And I'd say, okay, you can tell me one thing. And then you could see him trying to think of something then, see, he was simply trying to, you know, postpone, he said that. I, I love you. I, I love you, Daddy. That's okay. Naturally, he said, "Well, well, I'm not I, I, I love you, and and um and and I have four dollars, and I want to give you. I want to give you my four dollars, and and Daddy, when I grow up, I'm I'm going to build you and Mommy a, a big house, uh, and let you live in it for free, you know. So he did whatever he could to get out of it, but he never got out of it. All right, here's the. Here, let me read you a scripture, and I'm going to read, you, read it out of the message because I, I just like the way the, that this translates this. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. A good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death. A good spanking might save them from something, now watch this, worse than than death. What would be worse than death? So let me show you what it says in the New King James. It says, and deliver his soul from hell. So see, if I have a choice whether listen to the experts out there that don't know God, or listen to God, and it says that spanking could deliver my child's soul from hell, that's pretty important. Uh, Matter of fact, Again, the Bible is strong on this point, and again, we try to dilute it. And, and let me just clarify, when I talk about spanking, obviously I'm not talking about abuse or, or anger or anything like that, and there's a whole message that I did years ago on this, so you could listen to that if you want to reference it. But um, let me, we, we think the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible does not say that. It makes it much stronger. And see, because we think, well, I wouldn't mind spoiling the child a little bit. Does it say if you spare the the rod, you spoil the child? Here's what it actually says, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So let me give you three, just three um, thoughts about discipline that might help you if you're in this phase of life. One is be clear. Be clear in your communication. I remember one time I walked out in the backyard, uh, James, my son, was throwing rocks in the swimming pool. I said to him, James, do not throw any rocks in the swimming pool. He looked at me, went over, grabbed his brother's bicycle, and threw it in the swimming pool. (laughs) I didn't say don't throw bicycles in the pool. So I, I had to be clear. Don't throw anything in the pool. If you throw anything in the pool, including other people, I'm going to spank you. I had to be very clear with them, Right? So one is be clear. The other thing is be convincing. Daddy is going to spank you. Let me tell you why daddy's going to spank you, because daddy loves you. Bad things happen to people who do bad things. That's what I would tell my children. I don't want bad things to happen to you. So I am training you now not to do bad things because when you get older, you do bad things. You go to prison. Things happen to you. Bad things happen to people who do bad things. The only reason I'm doing this is because I love you and I'd be very convincing. Daddy will spank you if you hit your sister with that plastic bat. You stop swinging the plastic bat in the house because you could hit your sister accidentally, like you have already done, four times. (laughs) So daddy will spank you. You will get a spanking if you do this. Be convincing. And the last thing is be compassionate. Never spank in anger. If you have to cool down some, cool down. Explain to them, take them to another room. Never spank in public. Never, ever, ever. Because shame is never a part of discipline with God. God never shames us. We shame ourselves, but God doesn't shame us. We humiliate ourselves, but God humbles us. So I'm just letting let you know, don't do it in public. Go somewhere else. Be compassionate. I, I, would, I would have fun with them afterwards. Every time after I would spank them, I would do something fun with them. It takes time for godly discipline because I wanted them to know it was over. And when I talk about not spanking in public, i um, <laughs> My sons Josh and James told me this story. They went to Home Depot one time. It might have been to buy that socket that almost killed Josh that he told you about a few weeks ago where James just sat there and let him burn to death. But anyway, um, so they were were going to Home Depot and they rounded the corner of an aisle and they saw two parents walking about 10 feet in front of a, a child, about five or six years old. And the parents were just fuming. And, of course, they realize what happened is they've told the child, you're going to get a spanking when we get home. You know, when we get home, you're going to get it. You ever, heard, you know, so, so they're walking in like this. And this child, it was so funny because this child said, guys, can we just talk? <laughs> can we just talk, guys? <laughs> and so they're walking by, listen, this little boy says, uh, says guys, listen you don't like spanking me. I don't like getting spankings. We could just avoid the whole thing. Guys, and then when they rounded the corner, they heard the last thing they heard the boys say was, guys, we're all adults here. Let's just be reasonable. (laughs) So the first phase is training, all right? It refers to childhood. Second phase, here's number two, teaching. This refers to adolescence. From 13 to 19, we move from training to teaching. Ephesians 6, verse 4, let's go back to that verse. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, we already talked about that, and admonition of the Lord. Let me tell you why I use the word teaching. That's what this word means. Admonition means instruction or teaching. Bring them up in the teaching of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4:9. teach them, them refers to statutes, teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So think about this, all right? Um, Adolescence refers to the transition of a child becoming an adult. We refer to it as teenage years, but it refers to that time. This is a time when we go to teaching. It begins at 12 or 13, somewhere around that age. You see it in Jewish culture as well. There becomes a time of teaching. We even see it in Jesus' life. And there's a really famous story about Jesus that I think we missed something very important. When Jesus was in the temple, remember? And there's there's a great there's a great part of it. I'm not I'm not minimizing this part, but because of this part, I think we missed the other part. But the the the, the um, teachers, the rabbis in the temple were so impressed with his answers. Now, that's a great thing. But I want you to notice something that Jesus himself did as he's making a transition from childhood to adolescence. Luke 2, verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up into, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And then verse 46. Now, so it was that after three days, remember, they left, and then they came back and found him. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Watch what Jesus was doing. Both listening to them and asking them questions. Listening to them and asking them questions. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus himself. This is a time when when teenagers are going to begin to ask questions. You need to understand something. This is the time for you to help them transition from being a child. Think about this. How many times, though, do we say something like this to a, a, our teenager, says something like this to us? You're treating me like a child. You ever hear that? And, of course, what's our response? <laughs> well, you're acting like a child. <laughs> and they probably are. But it's our responsibility to teach them not to act like a child. It's to begin to, to um, train them, to teach them. Let me say it another way. Um we tell a child what to think, or we train a child what to think. We teach an adolescence how to think. Let me say that again: we we tell a child what to think. We tell them, "This is what you're going. This is what you are going to do." We tell a child what to think, but we teach an adolescence how to think. Um, I don't know whether you use this illustration or not because some of you will like it, some of you won't, uh, but it's like math, okay? Some people have never gotten math. The reason they've never gotten math is because someone told you the answers and didn't teach you the processes. My father, who's a mathematical genius, taught me processes. He actually taught me many times how to solve mathematical problems three or four different ways. But because of that, I learned processes. This is what's wrong sometimes with teenagers is we tell them this is what you're going to do instead of teach them to come to that conclusion on their own. Uh, Notice asking questions. Teenagers were, Jesus was asking questions. Okay, the best way to teach, if you don't know this already, is to ask questions. So you begin to move in this transitional time where you begin to ask your teenagers questions. What what kind of criteria are you going to use? This is what you would ask a teenager. What kind of criteria are you going to use when you choose your friends? See, they start thinking then where they may have never thought before about that. What what type of study habits are you trying to develop now that are going to help you later in life? Here's a question I wish I had someone had asked me when I was a teenager. Do you think the choices that you make now will affect you as an adult. I never thought that I would deal with some of the things I've had to deal with as an adult because things I did as a teenager. This is a time to ask questions. When our uh, children were making this transition to adolescence, at the age of 13, we had a covenant ceremony with them. I did it with the guys, Debbie did it with our daughter. Uh, we would take them on an overnight trip. We had a ring for them. So I did uh, both our boys, Debbie did our, our daughter. We made a covenant with them. Now, part of the things that we talked about in our covenant, we talked about a lot of things, but let me just use one example. We talked about dating. We, we, we went through the facts of life with them. We did it when they were 10 and 13. The reason we, we did it when they were 10 is because they were going to hear things at school. So we went through the facts of life. But at 13 is when we made the covenant. And when we went through that, we said, now here's some things you need to understand. You're going to begin to start being attracted to the opposite sex. And when that happens, we want to tell you some things that's going to happen in your body. We want to tell you some things that will happen in your emotions. And so we told him. And then we said, we want to make a covenant with you. You have a part and we have a part. And we said, your part is that you'll talk to us and be open and honest with us when you're attracted to someone. That you'll keep yourself pure." that you won't cross these boundaries that God has set in place for your protection before marriage. We went through all the things of this is your part of the covenant. Then I said, this is my part of the covenant. My part of the covenant is that I commit myself to pray with you about your spouse. And I, we explained to him why. You have to tell teenagers why. We said, because we know you better than anyone else in the world knows you. We know your personality. We know your giftings. So we're gonna help you in this process. But then, I wanted to kind of incentivize my uh, teenagers, you know? And so I said, uh, and part of my covenant is, you're gonna keep your part, but part of my covenant is that I'm going to pay for any expenses with the wedding, whether you're a boy or girl, because there are expenses on both sides, I'm gonna pay. Another thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pay for your honeymoon. I'm gonna pay for your college, whatever it is, I'll pay for all of it, you'll have no student debt, no matter what, I'll take on the student debt if I have to. And then I said, and I'm gonna help you buy your first house. Now, I look back on that now, <laughs> and think, thank God that people buy my books now because I, I, wouldn't have ever been, I wouldn't have been able to keep all these promises that I made, and I don't know why I did that, but, We've been able to help our children financially, but I remember with Josh, my oldest son, when he was 13, I wanted to teach him something about God's grace during this time, and so I went through this, and I said, now we're making a covenant. You have a part, and I have a part, and I said to him, what, and my part is, is very big too. It's, 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 it's a big financial commitment on my part. I said, but what's going to happen if you don't do your part? And I was expecting him to say, well, then you won't do your part. My 13-year-old son surprised me. He sat there for a moment. He said, you'll probably still do your part. And I remember thinking, you stole my thunder. (laughs) You stole my teaching moment, you know. I said, well, if you don't do your part, why do you think that I'll do my part? And he said, because you've taught me that even when we do things wrong, God still loves us. And I think you're like God, Daddy. I think you're gonna love me anyway. This is what we do, we go, this is a a time of life we take our young people through from childhood to adulthood and it's very important. And then the last adulthood, I'm using the word trusting trusting. So hopefully we can remember these three words. Training, teaching, trusting. Let me say it another way. Children are trained. Teenagers are taught. Adults are trusted. Children are trained. Teenagers are taught. Adults are trusted. Adulthood, again in the Bible, starts at 20 years old. Uh, I don't have time to give you all the scriptures But I'll give you just a few references that you can look at later, all right? Exodus 30 verse 14 says at 20, they were beginning to give offerings. Now, I think it's good to teach our children to give offerings, but this was actually referring to a temple tax. They were required to start paying this when they turned 20. God saw them as adults. Numbers 1 verse 3, at 20, they had to go to war. They didn't have to go to war until they were 20 years old. God saw them as adults. Numbers 14, 29 through 32, at 20, they were held responsible for their sin. At 20. This is how he said it. He said, your little ones who had no knowledge of good and evil will still go into the promised land, but everyone 20 years old and up, other than Joshua and Caleb, will die in the wilderness. So God sets an age at 20. Now, one of the things that many of us have done is kind of said, um, I've even heard people say this, well, once they're married, they're adults. No, that's not true. They're adults when they turn 20. And let me, uh, some, one of the scriptures that people use is, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. In other words, they're under my authority until they get married. No, take the scripture for what it says. Listen to what it says. Therefore, a man, a man, shall leave his father and mother. No, it doesn't say a boy. He's already a man. Uh, and think about this. What if they never get married? Some people are not called to marriage. Some are called to celibacy. The Jesus even talked about that himself. So what if they never get married? Are they going to have to, you know, when they're 65, they're going to have to ask your permission to retire, you know? So they're, they're grown and they need to be treated as adults. This is the reason that I named this message, Bless Sons and Daughters, Not Bless Children. Uh, I, I am calling them adult sons and daughters, and I don't like even like the term adult children. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> think about it. If they're adults, then they're not children. And, and we have all these problems because people don't understand, and I really think parents get in the way sometimes when God's trying to do something in an adult's life. It's an adult, he's an adult now, let him be an adult. Uh, you remember the story of Samson, we were just in Israel. And I, oh, I saw the place where Samson was born, where his tomb is now, and uh, the, the, it's a hill. And where he went down that hill to Timnon, he fell in love with a Philistine woman, he wanted to marry her. And his parents didn't want him to. I want you to notice the scripture that a lot of people miss. Uh, verse, uh, Judges 14, verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Okay. His mother and father didn't know. Now, this is not Delilah, by the way. This is before Delilah. This is another Philistine woman. Here's what I think was happening. I think God was trying to teach Samson something because he marries another Philistine woman named Delilah and loses the anointing of God. And I think his parents didn't know what God's will was. Are are you following me? So, so many times we feel like we still need to parent them. I've had to even help Debbie in this because as our sons and daughters became adults, many times she'd want me to step in sometimes or, or be a little firmer in our counsel. And I would say to her, honey, they're adults. They're adults now. Our parenting role is over. Uh, A parent, the word parent can be a noun and can be a verb. In other words, yes, I am a parent, but I do not parent anymore because I don't have children anymore. I have adult sons and daughters. Are 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 y'all following this? Okay. And I've got to see them that way. Let me tell you another thing. You might not have ever thought about this. My sons and daughters, this this might blow you away. My sons and daughters are now my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, there's no male nor female. In Christ, they're my. Listen, this is why I say sons and daughters. Yes, I have, I have sons and daughters. They all have children of their own. They're parents now. They, they, they're, yes, they're my sons and daughters, but they're mothers and fathers. So they're not my kids anymore. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. That means that they can come to me for advice, but what they're actually doing is they're coming to a brother in Christ. Do you realize that some sons and daughters, some grown sons and daughters won't go to their parents anymore for advice? There are two reasons why. One is sometimes parents try to control. One is parents, let me say it this way, parents think if they don't take my advice, that's dishonoring me. That's not honoring me. You know, y'all, you asked us if you should make this move and we said no, but you did it anyway. And the Bible says you're to honor your mother and father. Let me just talk to some of you about that right there. Let me tell you what that actually is. That's spiritual abuse. When you quote scripture to get your way, that's wrong. You don't have any more authority in that person's life. That person's a grown-up. That person's an adult. So sometimes, uh, grown sons and daughters, adult sons and daughters, won't go to their parents for uh, counsel. But then it's, sometimes it's the other way around too. Sometimes there is a dishonoring because you ought to honor them and ask for their counsel. Honor your mother and father. Doesn't mean you have to do it. You still, because you're an adult, you have to hear God. I, I, I've known uh, adult sons and daughters that have just announced made an announcement, we've decided we're moving, or we've, I've decided to quit my job. They never even ask me, that is dishonoring. That is dishonoring. And here's the reason that they do it many times, It's because they haven't made the transition from adolescence or childhood to adulthood yet, and they don't have the courage to say, you know, would you pray with us about this? Because they fear the parents might say, well, we would rather you not do this, They don't have the courage to say, well, thank you, we'll go back and pray again. But then they might have come back and say, now that we've prayed about it, we appreciate your counsel, but we know for sure this is what God has spoken to us. Are are y'all following me? This this would solve about 99% of family marriage counseling right here. If we would allow adult sons and daughters to just simply grow up and treat them as brothers and sisters. Now, so I want to show you a scripture about this, and it's a scripture that's misunderstood a lot. And you know that I love to talk about biblical exegesis, cohesive exegesis, contextual exegesis. In other words, the meaning that we draw out of scripture has to be um, cohesive with the entire Bible and the context, okay? So here's a scripture that if you don't understand it in the context of the chapter and cause it to be cohesive with the rest of the Bible, you'll never understand it. First of all, let me give you the context of the chapter, right? Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for spiritual abuse. He's actually talking about spiritual abuse. And he's rebuking the Pharisees for it. And that's when he says this, these famous verses, Matthew 23, 8 through 10. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren notice again i said brothers and sisters in christ you're all brethren so don't be called a rabbi then he says do not call anyone on earth your father again if you don't make this cohesive with the rest of the bible you'll never understand it for one is your father who is in heaven and do not be called teachers and this word is better translated master, some some translations translate it master, for one is your teacher, and again, it's not the normal word for teacher, it's the word for master, one is your master, the Christ. Now, let me tell you a couple things about it. First of all, I think the the, uh, Trinity is in there because when he says you have a teacher who is the Christ, remember though, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one said, hey, I am uh, going away, but I'm going to send another who's like me. He will teach you all things. I think that's the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And then he says, and then you have a father in heaven, and then you have a master, and that's Jesus the Lord. So there's the Trinity right there. But here's the reason he was saying this. The Pharisees loved titles, and they loved to abuse the authority of the title. So what he was saying was, listen, if you're going to to say that because you have some title, you have authority over this person, you need to know that the ones who have authority are the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. Those are the ones who have authority. And you're all brothers. That's, that's, are, are y'all following this? That's why he says this. Get, you get over this thing about having some title and have someone give you a title like you're greater than because no matter what your age is or no matter even if you're the biological parent, when that person becomes an adult, you're now his brother in Christ. You're his sister in Christ. In Christ, you're all the same. Um, One time I was meeting with a Christian counselor, and we were talking about things, and he said to me, did you ever have a time when you uh, were welcomed into manhood? And as soon as he said that, I thought, yes, I did. And I told him about it. And I, I have a great father and great mother and... But I, my, my, when I was, uh, um, my father owned a company, and my father, when I was in college, when I went to college, gave me one of his credit cards and said, you know, put meals and things like this on my credit card. I remember the first month he got the, the bill, he called me, because what was happening was that I had normal friends that didn't have a father like that, and we'd go out to eat, and they'd say, hey, I don't get really pay till Friday, can you, you know, buy my meal, and I, so he got the bill and would notice, okay, one person could not have eaten this much food. So my dad called me and said, um, are you buying other people's meals on my credit card? And I remember I said to him, well, yeah, but they're paying me back. He said, they're not paying me back, son. <laughs> but anyway, when I went on my honeymoon, he said to me, put all your expenses on the credit card. Put every, I said, I want to pay for your honeymoon. When I got back, he said, hey, come to my office first thing Monday morning when you get back. I said, okay. I walk in his office. Remember, Dad owns the company. I walk in his office. I'm just one of the employees at the company. Walk in, and he says, did you have a good honeymoon? Good. You enjoy everything? Yes. Did you put everything you could on the credit card? I said, yes, I did. He said, great. He said, stand up. I stood up. He said, give me back my credit card. (laughs) Pulled it out of my wallet. I'd had it all through college, you know had it on the honeymoon. I was married now. He said, give me my credit card. I gave him my credit card. Then he put it in his wallet. He stuck his hand out and said, congratulations, son, you are now a man. You are now a man. And I remember he said this to me. You need to provide for your family from now on like I provided for you. And you need to lead your family spiritually like I've led you. But you're a man from this moment on. That, that's what a lot of young men need today. And if you haven't heard it from a biological father, then hear it from a spiritual father. You be a man. You know the last words of, of David to Solomon, his last words? You know what he said? <laughs> he said, be strong and prove that you're a man. Prove yourself a man. Anyway, I'm, we're not talking about provision or the world's definition of a man. Okay, what he was talking about was you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you'll prove yourself to be a man. I think God's a generational God. God he's, he names himself God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. Let me tell you one more thing about adult sons and daughters. Um, as you know, a little over a year ago, Josh came to me and said, "Talk to me about, Dad, I just have some things stirring in my heart. Want to get your counsel. He didn't come and announce something to me. He came to ask me. And we started, when we started talking, then it started uh, coming about that he had it in his heart to plan a church. Okay, if you remember, I told you this, I had it in my plan that he would be my successor. In seven to 10 years, he would be the one to succeed me. And so that was my plan. But, but he's an adult. So he comes and says, I, I don't, that's not in my heart. I want to talk to you about it. I said, let's talk about it. I said, you're released. You're released from my plan. And so now he's in Austin and in a couple of months, you know, he's going to plan the church. Okay. But let me tell you, just two weeks ago, I was going to Israel, but we weren't leaving until Saturday evening. So during the four o'clock service when my son was standing in this pulpit preaching, I'm sitting right down there and he's preaching and he's feeding you the word of God. Now, you recognize good messages. Let me tell you what I recognize. I recognize people that know how to feed. I, I can see 10 things he's doing right that you might not even know he's doing right. It's like uh, one of the guys that works with me, his name is Mike Brisky. He used to be a PGA Tour player. He can tell you things about your golf swing you don't know. I can tell you things about preachers you don't know. I, I can see it on him. So I'm sitting there watching my son feed you and thinking about, you know, I was thinking he was the the one, you know, to follow me. And I remember I had two thoughts. My first thought was, he messed up my plan. (laughs) I had it all planned out because because this, the number one thing when I do make that transition is I want someone knows how to feed you the word of God. That's number one to me. So that was my first thought. He messed up my plan. Here was my second thought but I trust my son, because I raised my son to be a man of God, and he is now a man of God, and he's following God. I trust him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with every message, I don't know where you are in life, but I want you to know that God can speak to you no matter where you are. Think about this. God spoke to Moses and to his parents when Moses was in as a child. He speaks to Mary as a teenager, an adolescent, the mother of Jesus. He speaks to Abraham when he's 75 about being the father of many nations. So God can speak to you no matter where you are in this phase of your life. God still has a task for you an assignment for you. So when I preach a message like this my my question is always the same. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Now I want you to ask the Lord that question and maybe you hear something right now. Maybe you'll hear something this next week when you're having your quiet time. And the Lord will bring the message to your mind and you just ask him again, Lord, what are you saying to me through that message? Just take your just take take the week and let the Lord speak to you. We want to pray with you. No matter what you're going through, if you're going through any type of difficulty, any type of difficulty, don't ever go to church and then and have some, some area where you need prayer and not ask someone to pray with you. I mean, that's what we're here for. It's the body of Christ. So if you need prayer, you don't have to be a member of Gateway Church. Here's the way we do it. In just a moment, we have one more worship song at Ever Campus, and we're gonna have leaders at the front of Ever Campus. And if you need prayer for any area of your life, as soon as we stand up, you just stand up and just step out to the aisle, come to the front of the, of the campus or the overflow room where you are and just tell one of the leaders, I need prayer. And tell us what you need prayer about. We want to pray with you, okay? So you may need prayer about a family situation. You may, you may need prayer about a, a grown, an adult son or daughter that's away from the Lord. You ought to agree with someone in prayer about that. Maybe you need prayer about a job or a financial situation or a health situation. If you need prayer, don't leave without getting prayer, okay? So as soon as we stand up, you just stand up, step out and come to the front, one of the leaders, and let us pray with you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person at every campus that needs prayer right now, in Jesus' name, amen.